Hey, you, you want to see something really scary? What's your favorite scary movie? I'm going to scare the hell out of you. What was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. They're coming to get you, Barbara. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk here. What's blood for, if not for shedding? Welcome to Fright Night. Welcome back to Jump Scare. I'm Betty. And I'm Chad. This week we're covering Arrow Video's release of Lover's Lane. Do you want to talk about it? This anger, this rage, let's talk about that night. You went up there just like always to watch them doing what you dreamed of doing. You killed those two young people. You took that steel hook and you butchered them. 13 years ago, a brutal killer struck. Bye bye. Hey, sexy. So we are tonight. Here's up. Close off. <laughs> Today is Valentine's Day, and I know you all have love on your minds. <laughs> Be careful. Hi there. The hell do you want? Brad and I are going up to Lover's Lane. Make sure that Michael finds us there. Now, it looks like history. Oh, good God. Is about to repeat itself. Oh, boy. The hook's out. He went over a wall today. This time it'll be our kids. Do you think this guy's on a vendetta? That's just plain crazy. It's it's on Where are they? Try Lover's Lane if you can find it. Did you hear something? Oh, come on. Don't tell me that you're scared. Arrow Video has put out a pretty awesome um, whole like package of yeah. this film um, that was released in 1999, 2000. Depends on where you read. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to say it's early 2000s. Yeah. I think it's early 2000s. Um, so many of you may or may not know the whole like folklore behind Lover's Lane. You know, there's a hooked killer on the loose that has escaped from, you know, some mental institution. The jail, the mental institution, he's a ghost pirate, you know, there's all kinds of crazy shit you hear out there. Oh my gosh. Okay. And he goes around, he kills unsuspecting, you know, teenagers on lookout, makeout point on, you well, know, on the cliff. I wouldn't want people out there making out of my land. Ghost pirate. I can't. Anywho, no, you no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't appreciate because you're not no one wants to get laid by a ghost pirate. That's exactly why. Is that is that why no one yeah. wants to touch your hook? Yeah, he's out there lonely just polishing his hook. I'd be mad too. Polishing his hook. Yeah, I'm sure he is. <laughs> so now the lore of these this hooked, you know, hooded mast, you can't really see assailant, um, kind of started floating around in the fifties. You know, there's a tale that was told, you know, um, over and over again. 
and it, it's it's one of those you know it's in every different state. As soon as teenagers were able to have cars where they can go make out in them, somebody started the story that if you go park this car out in the middle of nowhere and make out in it, you're going to die. Now, so you just shouldn't do that. There is some truth to this because with every kind of like folklore, there is, they can kind of bring it back to something, pinpointing to something that happened, you know, in previous history. And then, of course, like in everything, it gets either watered down or overly exaggerated. The story to kind of, you know, bring. So you're saying the ghost pirate thing is probably something I just heard and it's not true. Correct, or it is true. Yeah. Yes, I'm sure there's a ghost pirate somewhere. No, I just I don't know what to believe now. Now, back in the 40s, mid 40s, uh, there were the Texacana Moonlight Murders, and there was a series of murders that occurred in that region, and it was they were attributed to an alleged unidentified serial killer, and the serial killer would you know, did murder um, female and male pairs, couples, um, either on Lover's Lane or, like, quiet stretches of road. And we would later see something similar in the 70s film, The Town That Dreaded Sundown, kind of took that lore made its own. And we've seen it again in Campfire Tales, where they revisit the hook man. You see it again also in, in, you know, I Know What You Did Last Summer. You have the fisherman with the hook. You know, you can't really see. He's unidentified. And they never found this person. Yeah. So what I always heard was the one where they got back to town and they found the hook hanging on the doorknob or on the the, well, yeah, the bumper or something like that. That's actually the original story. Yeah, they, they find the hook hanging off and then they get back and like, oh no, we just barely made it. Yeah, it was a institution, a mental institution in Pennsylvania. And the couple was listening over the radio that there was, oh, um, Night of the Creeps. Yeah. The beginning of Night of the Creeps. They, yeah, instead of a hook handed, he just happened to have an axe, but you know. <laughs> we're just kind of splitting hairs at this point. Yeah, they, they, they definitely bought it, up, bought it up a notch. But that thing where they hear it over the radio, you know, and then you hear, oh, shit, you know, there's a sound or something. And they, or they that's, get to their destination and there's a hook in the door. That's always one of the things that annoys me most in movies is when they're like, turn on the news and see if there's anything about this guy killing people. And they turn it on they're like, in other news, there's a guy killing people in your town. <laughs> and then they just go right into it. It's like they had the perfect fucking timing to turn the news on right when that story's on. I'm like, what? what? Fuck off. No, that never happens. You, I have seen ads for shit on the news, like on the news channels. We're like, coming up in the next 15 minutes, we'll tell you what common household item will kill the shit out of you if it's in your cabinet. Four hours later, the story has still not aired. You're just waiting for it. So, no, that I always call bullshit when they turn the TV on. It's right at the fucking story they need. This goes back to our thing about when they Google the results. Yes. And it's the uh, top one. Let me look up Bagul. The first thing that comes up is, oh, let's check this guy out. And Vincent D'Onofrio just pops up on the screen and goes, oh, it looks like you got yourself a Bagul problem. <laughs> <laughs> so... That always drives me nuts. I just one time wanted to look it up and go, oh, no, that was bullshit. That turned out to just be a porn site. Never mind. Oh, my it turned gosh. out to be Bagul's ladies. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll let everyone know. Don't put Lover's Lane in a Google Google search. Put Lover's Lane movie. Because if you just put Lover's Lane, you're going to come up with a website that's Lover's Lane. And it's going to be selling some kind of product that you may or may not be interested in. I'm still on the site, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Now, the film uh, takes place on Valentine's Day. Yep, which is a good one to add to the whole Valentine's Day horror collection. And then it fast-forwards 13 years later on Valentine's Day. Again. Gee, I wonder where they got this idea. <laughs> Halloween. Um, I can't. And, you know, 
it's one of those things that I really, I, I did watch the film. There's one scene where there's, they mentioned Valentine's Day. I don't remember in the fast forward or the future, them, there being any Valentine's Day decorations or mention of Valentine's Day. That part is very foggy to me, but I love when the films do this. They're like in the car at the beginning, the sheriff, it has the daughter in the front seat. And they're gonna they're talking about mom and how she's excited she's gonna give her val- her Valentine's Day gift for mom and whatnot. And she has one of those big ass like candy, like heart-shaped candy boxes, yes. right? They arrive to the scene, he's been called to the scene, and you know, right off the bat, as soon as he gets to the car, like the coroner or like the psychiatrist, someone rushes him and is like, Don't, don't go in there, don't and the guy's like, Fuck off, what is wrong with you? Let me get on the fucking scene. And alas, you already know right off the bat, like his wife has to be there, right? His wife is there. She murdered. Now, let's fast forward like a couple of minutes. Then we have the daughter come out the car and she places the huge ass box. I, I feel like maybe in my mind, the, the size of this box is exaggerated, but I felt like it was larger than the girl herself. Yeah, it looked like it was pretty big. This is one of those things where, you know, it, the candy might not have been that big. Maybe the kid was just that small. It's hard to tell. And she leaves the box. This is so classic. Like, this scene is like classic fucking 80s. She leaves the box right on the dead mom's body. Is like, happy Valentine's Day, mom. And then, like, the movie fucking starts. That's the only fucking reference to Valentine's that I remember of the movie. I think they talk about it being like they, there was a... They don't have, like, the Valentine's dance or anything, which I was expecting, like, that was where the big massacre was going to be. But... <sighs> Uh, yeah, so they really don't get much into Valentine's Day after that. But I think everybody mentions like they need a date for Valentine's Day at some point. But that's about it. Oh yes, because the guy later on asked a girl like she thinks it's just like a pity, a pity ask. Yeah. Um, because you know it's because it's Valentine's Day. She doesn't have a date, and he doesn't want to show up to the fucking whatever without a date because he's gonna look like a loser. Um, even though he's already a loser. Now the the woman playing the mom here in this scene, of it, which I love, later on plays the daughter as a, as a teenager. So it implies that that dude married someone way younger than him because this guy looks to be in his 40s. And if the daughter's 17 playing the mom, you know what I mean? It just looks kind of weird when it's like, wow, he really married young, didn't he? Now, I do want to give a shout out to the artist that did the cover, the artwork for this release, um, Elan Sheedy. The artwork is fantastical. I love it. For me, it's a throwback of like, Aurel Stein's like Fear Street novels, you know, like those 90s, you know, horror novels that came out. I love the artwork. For Shad, it's reminiscent of like the 70s and 80s like artwork. This is kind of, it's kind of in the style of stuff where Arrow's released things before, like of uh, the editions of like Society and the stuff. It has that kind of feel to it where it, and you know, this was made like in the end of all that kind of stuff at the end of the, the 90s, but. It looked like it has that 80s, 70s kind of feel to it by the artwork with it. And it's like, oh, okay, this is one of those ones that no one's, you know, everyone's forgotten about. And now we're going to rediscover it. Which it is. It just came along a little later than that. Now, the plot of the film is a man with a hook uh, for hand. He escapes the mental institution and he's going after the children of his previous victims. Now, I need to mention, this was a thing for me because I'm super nerdy about this. The psychiatrist in this, and Dr. Grief is being played by an actor named Richard Sanders. Now, Richard Sanders is... Oh, his name is Jack Grief. I always love when they do that. They put Jack in with a thing like that. Dr. Jack Grief. And Grief, G-E... 
I'm sorry, G-R-E-F-E, grief. Mm. A little clever spelling on it there. Uh, his wife was also killed the night of the sheriff's wife was, and it's been alleged that they were having an affair. But Dr. Grief is played, like I said, by Richard Sanders, who you will know as Les Nesman from WKRP in Cincinnati, who we were discussing that the man looked like he was 50 years old when WKRP was on, and he was barely 40 yet. In this movie, 20 years later, he still looks like he's in his 50s. So he's one of those guys that he looked old from the time he was probably 20 on, but then he never looked any older, you know? But it was nice to see him in something other than WKRP because I think in all the years, other than a couple of appearances on other random TV shows, this is the only big like leading role kind of thing I've seen him in. This film actually reminds me of another film that... I've been wanting to cover, but I can't until Bestie, Carrie, who's been on the podcast previously, can join us because this is also one of her favorite films, which is Cherry Falls. came out the same year because right after Scream... Also, Lover's Lane produced by two of the same people that produced Cherry Falls. Well, there you go. Uh, Joyce and Steve uh, Swikert. It's hard to say. It's a very... I'm not good at that one. Swikert. They were the executive co-executive producers on this. And they also play the couple that's found dead in the farmhouse later on in the movie. A little bit of trivia there. That's really funny. Yeah. So, yeah, they were all about, they were like, you know what? Scream happened. And now it's like, oh, which sounds really terrible. I was going to say, oh, films about teenagers being murdered is all the rage, which is really messed up. But, yes, it was. I mean, everyone, it, it was one of those things where, you know, there's one movie that just sets off the next set of, like, 10 to 20 movies that come out because of the popularity, and yep. you definitely were riding that bandwagon. Um, well, you had it with Halloween, and then it went into Friday the 13th and all of those, and then it was kind of dying out in the <laughs> mid-90s when Scream came out. It had been, you know, kind of gone for a while. It was so dead. Yeah, I mean, the last, uh, in the 90s, the last Friday the 13th we had was in 93, which was Jason Goes to Hell, which we have covered, and they had said pretty much, uh, yeah, let's just change everything about Jason. You know, we're eight movies in. Let's make up the fact he's a demon and add all this lore at this point, because fuck it, why not? We hadn't had a Freddy movie for a few years. We wouldn't get another one until New Nightmare, which again was like, Terrible. let's change all the rules and make everything completely different. Really so everything was kind of, you know, crazy at that point. And then Scream came back and got it all back to a basic slasher formula. And then everyone else was like, we're back, baby. Let's start making some slashers. Really revive the genre. Yeah. Totally. Um, but yes, so Cherry Falls, similar thing. Small town, teenagers, uh, serial killer going on the rampage, slasher, t- killing teenagers. Sheriff is one of the main characters with the daughter involved in everything. <clears throat> yeah, like literally down to like... Yeah, there's a lot know. of similarities in this movie and Cherry Falls. Now what we did... This would be a great double feature, by the way. Oh, this would be a good double feature. Lover's Lane and Cherry Falls. <laughs> now, what's... Really funny is that we didn't mention the most famous person in this film. Yes, this came out before, a little bit before, Anna Ferris made her big debut in a Scary Movie. Which is funny because, you know, Scary Movie's parodying all the horror movies and all that kind of stuff. And then here she is starring in the exact thing that, like, a year later she would be parodying. Yeah, it is really funny that that would happen. And, and she's even playing a cheerleader in this one. So it's like, oh, wow, they really went out of their way to uh, do the most stereotypical thing they could. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Now, 13 years later, here we have a killer on the rampage killing these teenagers. Yep. And Also, I will go ahead and tell you, I won't say who, because I don't want to spoil a lot of this movie for you, but this also might have the death by vagina best scene since Sleepaway Camp. Death by vagina? Well, death through the vagina. Oh, but I just saw that movie on Joe Bob. 
the mangler mutilator the mutilator that had a crazy death by vagina or vagina death scene yes what it is vagina death scene i screwed that up vagina death scene yeah there's there vagina death scenes who knew and let me tell you it is uh pretty intense so yeah the, you know this brings back a lot of good things <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a cop in the film that is like a disgusting pervert, and that part of the film I did not appreciate because it was like it. it I, I was like, no, no. It was one of those where like I don't. It's another sleepaway camp moment where they say some stuff that's so cringeworthy that you're like, oh god, no, please. And what gets me is then the sheriff is just like, ah, yeah, okay. Sure, that's a thing that happens. Exactly, especially when the sheriff has a teenage daughter and this guy's talking about another teenager and he's a freaking in his well in his 20s. And it's so inappropriate. Yeah. But it's like, of course, like, this is happening right now. There's always the pervert guy in the, on the floor or whatever. He dies. I'm just going to throw that out there. Spoiler alert. He dies. Yeah. I was waiting for him to die. I was like, he just fucking better die because he's a piece of shit. Now, there's a lot of things in this movie that will remind you of other movies. Obviously, <laughs> the whole... Uh, there's a, there's a series of murders that happen, and then, you know, many years later, they start happening again. Is it the same person? Is it not? Because in this, they actually catch someone the night of the murders and have him locked up in the asylum. And, you know, it's just instantly assumed, we caught this guy near there, and he must be the one who did it. He gets locked up in the asylum, and the psychiatrist has been treating him all these years, and he escapes on Valentine's Day. And in something that they, they, they show it a couple of times, they don't really touch on it. He writes, prison food sucks in blood on the wall after he kills one of the guards and leaves. And he writes that again later in the movie on something. It's like, this guy really had a beef with the prison food while he was there. But they don't really mention why that was or what was going on with it. But So you have him out there. So in the end of this, you end up with a little bit of like, a little bit from Halloween. You have a little bit from prom night because is he the killer or is he not? Is he just the red herring? You got a little bit of from Scream in there because, spoiler alert, there are going to be some surprises about who the killer is. And if you've seen Scream, you can get the idea that there might be more than one. And it's a little bit of a hodgepodge of all kinds of different horror movies that they took little bits from and put in there to, you know, try and surprise you with things. And uh, it, it works pretty well. It's, it's interesting. Uh, there's a few. There's a couple of scenes where you're like, why the hell did they not notice that? And then later on it kind of pays off why someone didn't notice something was amiss or notice that something was very wrong when they went in somewhere. You're like, oh, that's why. Okay. So it was pretty clever in that. The one thing that this film didn't have... And I apologize to everyone right now beforehand. Is this film did not have one redeemable character that I gave a damn about. I didn't give a fuck about any of these characters. Not that they're... The character development on each of them is very small. It's so small it's like close to non-existent. Um, I, I just didn't have any connection to anyone. I, I could not care less if this person was killed or this person was killed. It's not like how it is in Scream where you are invested in Nev Campbell's and Sydney's, you know, life. You're invested in what's going on. Even in Cherry Falls, which many hate the film. It's the film that many hate. But there's, it's a, for me, it's like a cult film. Many, there are so many people that love the film. And you just got to love Brittany Murphy in the film. It's just like, it's classic Brittany Murphy. You know, and I'm not a Brittany Murphy fan. Carrie is. But there's she's you're able to connect you know um with her in a sense there and 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 even though yes the movie came out in the 2000 in 2000 
This happens all the time. When any film comes out literally at the beginning of a whole decade, it still feels like the previous decade. So for yeah. me, the, these films are very 90s-ish. Yeah, the 90s, the 2000s don't really start till like 2005. Yeah, I would say 2010 is when they start really getting, but I'm literally exaggerating. Like, it have the two, the, the 2000, uh, the first 10 years of the 2000s get any identity because I felt like it was still hanging on to like the previous decade. That's kind of why this reminds me of like the 80s slashers movies because in all the 80s movies, you didn't, they didn't really bother to develop a lot of the characters very well. It was just always. We have seven people, and we need to come up with seven ways to kill them. Oh, here's the funny guy. Here's There was always a prankster guy. There was a funny guy. There was the couple that was going to go off and have sex. There was always, you know, They had their like basic groups that was going to be in all of them, and then that was it. There wasn't... You can't really think of much character development from any of the Friday the 13th movies, except for the second one with Amy Steele's character had a little bit more than the rest of them. But other than that, the rest of them really didn't get much. Same with Nightmare on Elm Street. The first one had a lot of character development, and the third one did, but the rest of them were kind of like, eh, it's just people to be killed. But the first and the third one are the most favorited ones. That's right. So You'd think they would learn from that, but they do not. What does it tell you there? Also... The 80s was about quantity, not quality. That's very true. You had to have a movie out every year because... If you look, the, most of those Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street, they came out like bang, 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 like one right after the other. I think that's probably why they were so popular. It's like the Stephen King method of, you know, your first book's popular, so you write 15 more right after it. That way it just keeps rolling from one to the other, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I The Friday the 13th, one and two, I I think there's, I don't know, even, no, because then even the one with, um what's his name, Crispin Glover and his like new wave dance. Yeah, that's four. Okay, there's character development of those. I think bit. I think there are for those movies not as much, but then again, I don't know if it's me, if it's one of those things because I've seen those films so many times. But I feel like there are, especially like in like prom night. You definitely feel something yeah. for Jamie Lee Curtis's character. I mean, obviously not because she's obviously a screen queen and, you know, you know that she's going to be a final girl. But I don't know. I guess it just depends on on the screenplay and how well it's written and the direction that it goes. It is mostly about... It is definitely, not mostly. It is definitely about back in the day. And that's why in the 90s it was so dead. Because the, the machine had pumped out so much shit in the 80s that it was just like there was started, nothing left. They started running out of steam and they started running out of... Uh, I would say run out of ideas, but they stopped like green lighting things as quickly, you know, because they used, like I said, they pumped those things out every year. Because I remember, like, I think like Nightmare on Elm Street three is eighty seven, The Dream Masters eighty eight, Dream Child to eighty nine, uh, and then it's like ninety one is uh, Freddy's Dead. So like they skipped a year there, but they had like three years in a row where there was a Freddy movie out, and it's the same thing with Friday the Thirteenth. Those things came out almost every year, and. That's why I think they just kept going with the popularity because two things played in the theater so much longer back then. Oh yeah, one of those they movies were there for might, months. Yeah, one of those movies might play for five, six months in the theater, and by the time it finished and got out, the next one was coming in just a few months. So the people were just rolling right in. They're like, "Oh, 
shit, there's another one. Let's go. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's a whole different landscape now. Now a movie could be in the theater for a fucking day and then a week later streaming. Yeah. Especially now, now because of COVID. That fucked up a lot of shit. Yeah. Now most of the windows on all this stuff is 90 days. Some of them will extend it, but usually it's a 90 day window in theaters and that's it. Some not even, some not even that, like two weeks. It yeah. depends on the film. If the film is not making money, then they just you gotta They'll pull put it, it right to streaming, yeah. Yeah, and then pull it, or the theater will decide. I'm not gonna put that film in if I have this other film that literally is selling out every single show, and I could get another whole 300 people in this theater where this film is not even showing. Or let's bump. Yeah, that. like Halloween Kills, Halloween Ends. Both of those came to theaters and streaming at the same time. So yeah, I give this film one and a half knife. One and a half knife. That's kind of harsh. Is it? Is it harsh? I think it's a. I think it's a two and a half knifer. It's it's entertaining. Hell no, not two and a half knives. I totally disagree with you. I don't think the kills were. They were okay, but the plot is meh. I didn't really care about anyone. I really was just passing the time, just to be like, okay, I saw this movie. Check. Got to talk about it in the podcast. But it, it it's. I know <laughs> you're like, what? What are you talking about? I, I did not, I didn't care for the film. I could care less about this film. I'm, oh, whatever. I'm very grateful that I was able to view it. Um, but it, it wasn't, it, it, no. It's a no for me. <laughs> All right, then. Well, I liked it more than you did because there's some, yeah, there's not anything too special about the kills except for, you know, the uh, vagina murder. That one's good. We just, you know, someone gets hooked in the vagina is all I'm going to say. And uh, there's an interesting one where they, uh, they revert, to, revert to the MacGyver method here, where they've got to set up a trap for the killer at some point. I thought that was uh, interesting, how they uh, oh. set the trap up for the killer. There was a Home Alone moment, yes. Yeah, MacGyver, Home Alone. They set up some moments there for that I thought was interesting. And uh, uh, I love the fact that in movies that everybody just knows how to hotwire cars. You know exactly which wire to pull down and just snap that thing together and go... I would just be dead if I had to hotwire a car because I have absolutely no idea how to do that. So for me, I put this with like a lot of the 80s slashers. They're like, you know, they're entertaining. There's there's a few inventive kills in it. And it looks nice. The, the actors aren't terrible in it. They do a decent job of it. Even though you don't particularly have any development with them, nobody was a terrible actor to the point where you're like, oh, God, this really takes me out of it, you know? So that's why I say it's two and a half. It's good. It's not amazing, but it's entertaining. It, I have to say that this is probably the lowest rating film I've ever like the lowest rating I've given a film in a long think, time. Yeah, in a long in a long time. I tried to stand. It's weird because for me, the rating there's so many different things that I take into my rating, like take account, and this didn't hit. Not even. I mean, I feel like I'm being generous to give it the half. Wow. Yeah. 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 But again. If you're having a party, or if you do want to watch another movie that's not the two movies we previously mentioned that you would watch for Valentine's Day, which I would definitely pick My Bloody Valentine any day, or Valentine, and watch those first. But, you know, this is something definitely to either play in the background. Um, I think this is a good middle one. I think you put on My Bloody Valentine, then you watch this, and then you watch Valentine. And that way you're going to get the whole spectrum of different kinds of movies and different, you know, different types of killers throughout it. Um, it. I agree. It is a good middle movie because then after you've watched the first movie and you're like full with the popcorn and the candy, then you take a nap and then you wake up just in time to see My Bloody Valentine. Oh, come on. 
But at least they put out a very pretty looking package for it. You got to admit that. Arrow Video, you're freaking amazing. You, the packaging of the films are great. You choose films that are not well known. I had never heard of this film before. It's so wild because we view so many films. It's so many films that we, a lot of them, don't even make it to the podcast. Either we forget about it or we just decide we watch the film is like it's not really like worthy like it's not even worth discussing this film is one of those that i'm it's like lost it's a lost film i never heard of it the whole reason why i went back to like say like we go through so many films is that a lot of the films that came out that we cover from the 70s and 80s Either I wasn't alive, personally, or I was too young to view them. And even when I got older, at the video store, a lot of the films that Arrow Video, um, that other place that comes out with the... Vinegar Syndrome. Vinegar Syndrome, are films I've never heard of before. I was like, holy shit, this is like a treasure trove. There's so many in Tubi. Like, Same thing with me, because you gotta remember, I, you at least were in bigger cities. I was in Joplin, Missouri. Who didn't even get a blockbuster until 1990? We had a, another uh, series of video stores, uh, a chain rather called Crown Video, which had a lot of stuff, but they didn't have the boxes left on the shelf. When you rented the movie, you took the box with you because they had them in plastic cases with like the box cut up and put inside a case. Mm. So if you went to the video store and, for instance, Lovers Lane was checked out, you wouldn't see it there. You couldn't come back and look for it later. Mm. That was one of the things that was always... Say what you will about Blockbuster. When you saw the box on the shelf, you could pick the Lover's Lane box up and go, huh, what is this? Look at it and go, oh, that's checked out, but I'll look for it next time. With Crown, you couldn't do that. If you didn't see the movie there, if you didn't happen to walk in when it was available, you would never know it was out. And I feel like I missed out on a lot of movies that way because maybe it was there, but it just happened to be out the times I went in. So I didn't actually see it, you know? Yeah. We should do a whole podcast just on our experiences in the video store and the things that we, the films that we, like, stick out of our memory of ones we rented either, like, first-time renters or, like, more Or the ones we meant to rent and never got around to. That's true. You probably have more of those than I I did because, I meant to, I never rented Dead Pit with the glowing eyes flashing on the cover. Oh, you gotta say that for the podcast. Oh, okay. We got to delete that part. We'll delete that part. Forget I said that. <laughs> it's in there. It's over. It's already in there. We can nah, cover right, that later. That's right. um, but yeah, so very grateful. Thank you, uh, Arrow Video, for the screener. We really appreciate it. Um, it was a great experience. Again, the packaging fantastical. You know, everyone go out there and buy this movie. And uh, they, I believe they also could rent it via, like, I, I think you could rent it somewhere streaming. I'm sure you can somewhere. It When you look it up online, it says, you know what I hate? I hate when you try to look for something via streaming and it's like, oh, you can get it via Amazon Video, right? And you know that that means that you have to go through them and it's going to connect you somehow, shapewear form, to another, like, streaming service, yeah. you know, or another company. So you have to go and subscribe. I'm not sure if this is on Arrow's page yet. Uh, Arrow has their own streaming service. That that's what I on, think it may connect to. That's what I'm getting to. It may be on to. there, but like for right now, I don't think this is out streaming. Well, go they buy the film. You. Yeah, I think they just want you to buy the movie at this point. Which even you that don't like the movie love the packaging on it. So there's always that. 
I would buy, there were a lot of films that I just loved. I just wanted the slipcover. Like, I was like, I love the slipcover for this film. I became obsessed with slipcovers in, like, late 2000s. Like, 2008, like, plus. Man, there were so many films that came out with some fantastic slipcovers. And that's how they draw you in. Like, they would in the fucking video store. Like, oh, man, that looks great. I want to see that. And then, you know, you rent it. And then I would just start being one of those people that would just buy a movie that you never even heard of. You just saw it and was like, ah, whatever. This is like 10 bucks. I'm just going to get it, you know. And then now you own this movie and you may or may not like it. But this is this is that film for me. It it, it would it would go. In I the- feel like this is one of the ones, too, that like this is a movie that I would sit down and like watch it and be like, well, that was OK. And then I would end up watching every single special feature that was on the disc just to keep going through it. Yeah, because the special features are the best. And there's a lot, there are a lot of special features on there and it comes with a booklet and everything. Um, it's one of those that you definitely can, it's very entertaining to watch. And then explore, explore all the things of it. Yeah, like I said, I don't know if this movie will be for everybody, but the DVD, uh, sorry, the Blu-ray release is definitely worth it. Yeah, if there's, if there's people out there in the world that literally just have films that they put on while there's a movie going on, a party going on, like in the background, this is the perfect movie for that. Totally. I, I give it background film, two and a half star, uh, knives. I yeah. Shit, you got me with the stars again. You started the stars last podcast, and now I'm back to the stars, and I was doing so good with the knives. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Jump Scare the Horror Podcast. Stay tuned to the horror.